You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because all of these books are TLDR. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the man to whom Larry King once asked, so wait, which one of the royals are you again? Benedict, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Kevin. And You're just very for, well. For You're always very well. You need to mix that up. Uh, well, I, you yell at me for saying very good in a previous life, so... Yeah, I try yeah, and say yeah. very well these days. And just for reference, I am the disgraced royal who his family <laughs> no longer talks to. I'm Harry, Wait, is what the, I'm saying. the pedophile one? You're the no, pedophile one? one? No, Please. no, no. Re- <laughs> yeah, retract that real fast. No, Prince no, Harry. No, they still talk to that one. They yeah, still yeah, talk that, to that one. That's certainly true. That's so, certainly Benedict, true. before we get started today, uh, I have a, a quick question. Yes, Kevin. Uh, ramen noodles. Ramen yes noodles. or no? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Your, your ass on ramen noodles. See, I just assumed, because you had your hoity-toity British education, uh, where I'm sure you were served foie gras on platters <laughs> by butlers that you purchased from the Maharaja, uh, <laughs> that you would be against ramen noodles. No, but I'm extremely, I, extremely for ramen noodles. Okay, but but what, is, what, okay, what is your favorite kind? And I don't mean the favorite flavor of ramen noodles, but every college student knows this, right? There are things you do to the ramen noodles to get them right. Okay, so here's where I've backed myself into a corner. And mm-hmm. what I assumed you meant by ramen noodles was not the instant packet ramen noodles. No, I but mean rather the instant ramen packaged soup ramen made noodles. by a Japanese chef. No. <laughs> Why would Japanese I be talking restaurant. about that? Well, I don't know. Anyway, have you seen Parasite? Just word association, by the way. I still have not, by the way. Yes, okay. we, we, something vaguely Asian, you think of the no, Korean no, no. mega no, no, hit no, that really won good. all there's, the Oscars. There's a, thing, there's a thing in there where they have them make ramdon noodles, and they mm-hmm. look good as hell. It's like a okay. mix between ramen and udon noodles with like all the mm-hmm. different seasonings from all the instant noodle packets. Mm-hmm. And then they it, it just looks really good, and I want them. Anyway, okay, well, now that so, we know that you're too good for, for packaged ramen noodles, why don't yeah. we move on Peng's with the show this week? In New York City is, is my go to ramen place. Just so good to know. For all, we'll, we'll let all of our fans know. Free shout out there for yeah. whatever that restaurant is you're talking yeah. about. Uh, so, anyways, why don't we move on this week? Starting off with this is episode two of the new podcast. And I'm sure uh, people will be excited because hopefully you listened to the first episode before this one. But uh, this and the first episode are going to be dropping at the same time to go out to the whole world and all of our listeners who I know have been waiting for a long time for us to come back. So we are excited to be here. I know you heard that on the last show because I said it at the beginning too. But we are still excited to be here even though it's a few weeks since we recorded that one. Yeah, I'm Uh, excited. I'm fine. Not too long, no. 
But so, yeah. like I mentioned in the first episode, I just want to make clear for everyone, uh, the Patreon page is back up and running. And of course, you only heard that before now if you were a patron. But the Patreon page is back up and running. That is patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. If you want to go over there and become a patron, we now have uh, some perks for people. We're giving shout outs at the end of the show to all of our patrons. We have some fun stuff in there that we're going to be doing for people. So if you want to go over and become a patron and support the show, we would be forever grateful. Uh, and we'd love to welcome back some more of our patrons who uh, left during our long hiatus. We already got a couple back, and we love you guys. We're very glad to have you. So uh, thank you yeah, for being our patron. You. And again, go check it out, patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. But with that can said... We, yeah, can we get to the content now? Why don't we get to the content where we are reading Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., who is what happens when you combine 1.5 ounces of Goldschlager, Plato's perfect form of the concept of daddy issues, and a trust fund in a Nutribullet on high for 30 seconds. <laughs> Very good. Very good. On this week... Of course, we are reading uh, Chapter 3 of Triggered, uh, a.k.a. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Maga Chance. <laughs> my alternative chapter title for Chapter 3 is What I Did on My Summer Vacation by Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> Mine is, hey kid, did you ever hear of Saul Alinsky? <laughs> <laughs> so you just lifted words directly from the title, That's yeah, from the that, chapter. That's lazy. Uh, it's yeah, very that's, lazy. I mean, it's, no, it's, well, yeah, maybe. Maybe, but this book is lazy, so I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> this is all... Did you notice, and I, I just found this out today because I did not see it before, there are footnotes at the end of this book, oh, right. or endnotes, rather, I guess. Uh, but they but are no, like... so few and so small that you wouldn't notice them unless you just happened to randomly flip back there. Uh, okay, but there's no, the there's no, like... There's no footnotes in the text. Like, there's no exactly. references so in the text. So you have to guess what they're talking about. Which is, look, some people do that. I hate that as a form of, of footnotes or endnotes. Yeah, you put, the, uh, you put the footnotes or endnotes in as little numbers after the right. sentence that you've just written so that people can go and find your sort. I mean, it's deliberate. Yeah, I don't like it. But as with every book that we've ever read, which, by the way, all the books are soon going to be available over on Patreon feed for everyone, all the books we did on the old shows, uh, he doesn't cite where he desperately needs citations, right? Yeah. He'll say, for example, one poll said X. And I go and check the footnotes, and of course there's no citation to that poll, and we never get told what that poll was. It's the, 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 uh, a very small step up from some people say is basically oh, yeah. what that form of citation is. Yeah. So let's begin with the chapter. It starts off with, I was only four or five years out of college when I undertook my first major project as a VP at the Trump Organization. Of course, this is also a year after uh, spending an entire year bartending and and doing nothing because as a rich trust fund kid, you can afford to do that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, well, so sorry. I mean, yeah, that 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 first sentence is pretty telling because mm -hmm. there is no way that four or five years out of college that you should be a VP at a major international organization. Like that is just no. not a career progression that anyone has unless they are the like the son of the person that does the the business. Well, and he's completely lacking in self-awareness, right? Well, because yeah. he will repeatedly make references to how he grew up with an incredible amount of money and try and downplay that as the, you know, oh, this whole chapter he talks about for, for an extensive number of pages, all the time he spent in Czechoslovakia as a kid <laughs> visiting his grandparents. 
and how that's how he knows what the other side is like, right? But and it, that's where my what I did for my summer vacation comes from, right? Every yeah. white girl I ever dated who went away to South America for a, a month out of the summer to go uh, build a, some homes or something comes back and I was changed for life. I can only tell you <laughs> that like when I saw those little kids walking around and they didn't have shoes, but they were playing soccer and it was, I got to play soccer with them and it was the most amazing experience of my life. That All is right. exactly what this chapter is like. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the, the point being, though, at 25 or 26, nobody should be a VP of any organization that has more than, like, 50 employees. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. If, if a company he... has 1,000, people have to put in time and rise up the ranks, and nobody gets to VP at 25 off their own back. It's all, like, absolutely. all I will say here. And so the project that he's talking about is the Trump International Tower, Hotel and Tower in Chicago, which uh, he says about, we worked day and night on the project for close to five years. Well, other people work day and night on the yeah. project, Don, well, not I mean, you. Whether he did or not. So here's the, here's the thing, like, just in terms of the writing style of this, of this mm-hmm. book, it's like, it's that super annoying, like, anecdata start to a chapter of like i'm going to introduce this thing and then call back to it throughout the chapter <laughs> and the thing he's introducing spoiler alert is that buildings need foundations right so the the actual how title how very I, very yeah. deep that so the is. actual title of this of this chapter i don't know whether we actually said the real title is cracks in the foundation mm. and it's going to come back to trump buildings have strong foundations the democrats as an entire political party here's the metaphor don't have a foundation which like first of all isn't true like i don't really understand the the point that is being made i mean the democrats do actually have a huge a huge grassroots foundation right but they're socialists benedict they're socialists yeah but it doesn't socialist solinsky like, socialists you have a socialist foundation and I, first of all i get well second of all that's not true the foundation is largely not socialist there's there are probably i mean in terms of the actual not in Democratic south carolina policy, well yeah that's certainly <laughs> true anyway i will come back to it but let me let's let's keep going all right, so we start off, right, and we, we get a little throwback to our Dinesh days, right, where he says that the Democrat, and, he, and I should note this, right, uh, and this is a theme throughout all the books we've read as well, and, and most Republicans do this because it's actually a Republican strategy mm. where they call the Democratic Party the Democrat Party. Yeah, Because it does sound harsher to the ear. So it's an actual thing that they do on purpose, and repeatedly he, well, sometimes he screws up and says Democratic, but usually he manages to say Democrat Party. But yeah. he mentions that it was built up as a political party built on a foundation of Jim Crow-style racism, support of the KKK, and slavery, and stark opposition to Abraham Lincoln. All Which, true, by the way. By the way. It's well, rule of threes, not rule of fours, Donnie. Well, I mean, it's a rule of fours if you use the rule of four to subvert the, what the reader is expecting. <laughs> but that is not what's happening here. No, there's no often, subversion. Often writers will be like, I know you're expecting the rule of three, but I'm going to add an extra one or take one away so that you, I leave you hanging or I overburden you and it, it has a stronger effect than the expected rule of three. That's a literary technique that skilled writers use to subvert expectations. That is not what is happening here. And everyone, if you want to pick up Benedict's new book, Benedict's 10 Tips for Writing, you can pick that up over on uh, GoFundMe.com forward slash please, please buy my book. That's uh, but I mean, the point, the point being, all those things are true, or certainly were true, less true now. 
Right. Like I've said repeatedly, Republicans don't like to pretend that the 1960s happened. Right. In, in their history books, the 1960s just didn't happen. Or if they happened, it was only like the rise of, of radical uh, socialists like Saul Alinsky of the 1960s. <laughs> That's the only thing that happened during that time. Yeah. Uh, but so we get what the, the foundation of the Democratic Party is. And of course, these he's using the analogy to buildings. These floors included a widespread welfare state, hindrance mm-hmm. of businesses both big and small, and finally... Political correctness, Soviet-style socialism, Bizarre. and Antifa. Yeah. Those are the floors of the foundation of the Democratic Party. Can I, I just point out that like during America's one of America's biggest booms, it had its highest federal tax rate and mm-hmm. and corporate tax rate in the socialist in the post-war period, like the fifties and sixties. The yeah, tax rate, yeah, the tax but... rate hit like ninety percent. Yeah, but did they they had then uh not socialism and they had no abortion and and yeah. and stuff. And Saul Alinsky, damn it. Saul Alinsky. Uh, so, <laughs> I uh, you and I both love the Saul Alinsky references so yeah. much because it, it keeps coming up in all the crackpots we read. All the, he was writing a book about like, you know, grassroots organizing, right? Fucking get over it. Get over yeah. fucking rules for radicals. Yeah. Uh, stop being so fucking obsessed with it. Yeah. Seriously. So, but I mean, go. Yeah. Go so, I, I, sorry, I was just going to say, they. he goes on to say, instead, they've begun embracing some of the worst ideas in the history of mankind. Socialism, collectivism, which, you know, you can argue those are bad ideas. Sure. Whatever. I, I personally don't agree, but whatever. Class warfare, objectively a good idea generally as long as it goes in the right direction and the politics of fear and resentment yeah which is yes. a pretty a pretty funny thing for a, a trump child to <laughs> say other people are doing uh, i'm sorry i've seen donald trump jr's twitter feed so i'm not going to uh, i'm not going to give him any points on that one no. but he makes also the note did you ever think we would live in a country where the president of the united states would have to stand up during his state of the union address and declare that we would never become a socialist country well we still don't live in a country where the president has to do that. No, uh, your dad's just a wacko. So I'm pretty sure that, but, like, I'm pretty sure Reagan, like, at least hinted at that at some. Oh, point probably. Also, I'm like, sure. I've never, I've never seen Reagan's State of the Unions. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself through that. I put myself through enough reading these books. I would not put myself through going back and watching Reagan's State of the Union addresses. That is not the kind of torture I'm into. Okay, no. whip me. Don't make me watch that. Yes. So we move into this next part of the chapter where Donald Trump is to- Donald- <laughs> Donnie Jr. I have to I have to work out in my head to keep the two Which separate one? between yeah. Donald Trump and Don Jr. I'm, I should just call him Jr. throughout this yeah. whole book. But uh, we move into the next portion of this chapter where he's talking about his time as a child visiting his grandparents in Czechoslovakia. You know, of course, Czechoslovakia during the 1980s, part of the Soviet Union. All kinds of things going on there. If you want actually a good read on what was going on in the Soviet bloc during that time, I, I recommend Slavanka Drakulik, mm-hmm. uh, who did some fantastic work, right? How We Survived Communism and Even Laughed. Fantastic book. Yeah, it's good Not book. so much what Don Jr. has to say about no, it. No, but this is an objectively funny line when he's like talking about his her voice, his grandma's voice. His grandmother watching CNN. Her eyes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Don, don't these people he throws understand? In, he, he throws in a parenthetical which says, 
We're working on getting her off the CNN train, by the way. But back in the Czech Republic, you pick up CNN early like a drug addiction. Soon she'll be watching Fox News with the rest of the sane people in the world. Okay, which first of all, for someone who's like, oh, they had no access to free information in Czechoslovakia. And then, oh, they had CNN. Like, that seems weird. Is that what happened? I, I have no idea. I could not tell you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we get now uh, Donald Jr.'s recounting of how the... United States history has gone from the 1950s onward, starting with the aftermath of the John F. Kennedy presidency and assassination oh, yeah, and this the rise. Was so weird. Sorry, I read the this, like, rise two of weeks the new ago, left. I forgot. Yes, the organizations he decides to cite as showing the rise of the new left in the United States and the rise of the socialist uh, left in the United States are, for example, Students for a Democratic Society, that evil socialist movement that was uh, anti-segregation and, you know, uh, advocated for a lot of good things. Uh, food stamps, passed by Lyndon Baines Johnson Weird. under his administration. Medicaid and the Gun Control Act of 1968. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that horrible, I, commie, yeah. socialist act that was passed by an overwhelming majority of both parties and didn't do very much, as we can see, obviously. Yeah, now. yeah, and then the, the, it's like weird, like praise by association of like, oh, and they kind of were vaguely connected to the guy that killed Bobby Kennedy. Like, uh, sure. Oh, you're okay. talking about the way he brings up the Weather Underground. Yeah, right? yeah. You're and talking the, about the Weather the Underground. Yes. Was it Symbionese Liberation? The Army? Symbionese Liberation Army, which, as a Berkeley graduate, I have uh, you know the the utmost love and respect great, for, great obviously, because I'm obviously. I'm a Berkeley socialist. But, but wasn't it also like five people, like? legitimately it was, like, yeah it like, was about 22 people yeah. right? all these groups he's bringing out the weather underground it was like 25 30 people the black liberation army that probably more more people uh i think i was close to like 30 or 40 the simonese liberation army it was literally 22 people and then he brings up the united states christian posse association which mm. i was unable to find any references to i found references to plenty of posse organizations that sprang up in the 1960s that were right-wing separatist, group, separatist groups, white supremacist groups. But I'm assuming he's trying to cite a left-wing group here, unless he's no, just really he said, bad he, at writing No, he says books. on the other side of the spectrum, which I presume he is acknowledging that this is a right-wing group, but he's trying to say that this was the only right-wing group. Yeah, that's Maybe. not exactly accurate, um. is it? But then, of course, we are saved. We are all saved by the election of Ronald Reagan and the strength of capitalism that brought an end to the socialist insanity. Yeah. But there were cracks in that foundation. <laughs> Throwback to the title. Get it? And out get of it, those cracks, hidden socialists crawled. What? Bump, bump, bump. Bernie Sanders! Got him. So, okay, the, the, his <laughs> rationale for this is like, I don't know if anyone was paying attention in 1988 when Bernie went to the Soviet Union. Okay, first of all, first of all, people could travel wherever they like, whenever, whatever, who cares? Mm -hmm. Second yes. of all, 1988 is hardly peak Stalinism, is it? Like, this is just as <laughs> as the wall's about to go down. Not quite. Berlin. And as we have established, uh, uh, you know, between conversations of ourselves, right, the Soviet Union actually fell in 1980 as a result of the 1980 Winter Olympics, and the Miracle on Ice, however Absolutely. much they may have disgraced themselves now, uh, just the other day, wearing <laughs> yep, MAGA yep, hats. Yep, yep. Disgusting. Uh, but the Soviet Union collapse was caused by the Winter Olympics of 1980. Sure, I, I, even, I still even, hold to that. Even if that's a stretch, 1988 was hardly hardly the year of, like, peak communism, was it? No, now? This is, not This at is all. Gorbachev, everything collapsing around him. 
making making way for some a great deal of reforms actually mm-hmm. and everything's about to go extremely pear-shaped and the soviet union is about to fall as an institution so it's hardly that the fact that you know he's gone over and learned from the best of them yes so bernie sanders took a vacation to the soviet union in 1988 that's that's it and of course we know bernie sanders uh is basically stalin but jewish yeah i think pretty, that's right. we're pretty sure we can agree on that right he's basically stalin but jewish sure uh and a say, talking about uh, Bernie's policies, of course, he says, it's hard to run against free everything, even if that is a pipe dream. It's appealing to those who don't get or choose not to realize that nothing is free. Says the guy who was literally born with more money than he could ever spend and has never had to pay for anything. Yeah, and Never it, it, had it, to go to a supermarket and look through the different items on the shelves to find which one is cheaper. Yeah, Who's probably okay. never been to a supermarket. I don't oh, know if he's on. ever he actually shopped for one supermarket food. in Prague, I'm sure. <laughs> That's probably true. He stood in the bread lines in Czechoslovakia, Certainly. yes. So now we go back to, because he keeps going back and forth, to his trips to the Soviet Union to go spend time with his grandparents. And this is his first time visiting Prague he's talking about now. Now, he was sure it was to, you know, part of the reason for the trip was to give his parents a little peace and quiet for a couple months so they could go to a ski slope and get in a screaming argument uh, about cheating on each other. I I have no idea if the timelines match up on that, but I want to imagine that that happened on one of Don Jr.'s little vacations over to Czechoslovakia. But he tells us here, and this is one of the single greatest paragraphs of writing I have ever read in my life because this is essentially a letter to gay penthouse forum which is pure granddaddy it's, porn it, it, yeah it's it's not it's very weird actually it let me just read it in its entirety in my sure. most sultry voice possible okay, I'm not sorry to, I know please no. Dedo check for grandfather was tall and handsome with a long lean body that he'd built by swimming laps in the public pool as a competitor According to my grandmother, he had been a Czech national team swimming contender as a teenager, but I never, I never got the full story about that. He had dark hair and rough working man's hands that were about as big as my whole face. <laughs> I just, I, war, I wanted it to continue. I, he had the, the rough hands of a southwestern <laughs> angel and a tongue that could vibrate like an unbalanced washing <laughs> right, machine. All right, that's enough. Yep, okay, A man cool. could yep, suck a good golf then. ball through nope, a garden fine. hose. I just okay. wanted that to continue so badly. Okay, so uh, but what happens then is like in Czechoslovakia, he was a blue-collar electrician. He was very much his own man in everything he did, which... Seems fine. Like having been like nobody has any freedom, but my granddad did whatever. Sometimes the fuck I'd he go, wanted. I'd go meet him at jobs when the people who were living there weren't home, and we'd mm-hmm. we'd have the place all to ourselves. Okay, I just look, enough. I can't yep. get out of that because yep, that is completely. Yep. You know, you know that's what he's writing about. But he talks that's about enough. his time uh, visiting his grandparents in Czechoslovakia. Right, the buildings are gray and drab. Blah blah blah. But there was one enlightening line in his description of his time visiting his grandparents, which I thought reveals so much in its one sentence and it's i butchered hundreds of chickens in my childhood yep loved it which god you know there is a a stack of chicken corpses somewhere in czechoslovakia that is just covered in donald trump's gn donald trump jr's dna (laughs) and if we ever find it uh then we will we will know how to find the blair witch Uh, you find that stack and it leads you to the, the the blair witch that's how that works pretty sure that is correct 
So we get the, all these these paragraphs of talking about he all his time spent in Czechoslovakia. I, I keep saying that because it's repetitive and it's boring, yeah. and it's just the same thing over and over again. It right? is, yeah. My it's parents boring. lived in boring buildings. It was really boring. <laughs> it was really boring. It was really gray. There wasn't a whole lot to do. Uh, you know, Communist Party existed. You had to wait in bread lines. All the usual stuff that you expect. Uh, but for some reason, we get then a flashback to when he first went and got there and got off a plane. It doesn't really make much sense why he didn't tell this at the beginning of the story, but he talks about how when he went and he went through customs, they took away oh, his yeah. jacket, his favorite too. jacket that had blue and white stars on the back like an American flag. Those commie bastards took away his goddamn Bruce Springsteen jacket. <laughs> I want to think that was a Bruce Spring. You know it was a Bruce Springsteen jacket. I have to believe it was. I love Bruce, so leave that alone. Everyone loves Bruce. I'm not saying a word negative about Bruce Springsteen. Good. But I will say all the negative things about Donald Trump Jr. not understanding what Bruce Springsteen's songs were about. Yeah, yeah. Born in the USA is a patriotic song, etc., etc. The The people who play Born in the USA on the 4th of July are my favorite people. So there there are bits in here where he's like, oh, in Czechoslovakia, no one could make a higher wage just because he or she worked harder. Which is definitely true in the US also. Like, if you've ever met an actual working (laughs) class person in your life, you would know that they work at least as hard as you do if not 10 times harder excuse me i was a working class person exactly. i get to say that so skipping ahead a little bit because this is all just boring repetitive nonsense uh we get to the democratic party how the democratic party's story is the exact opposite of czechoslovakia's right instead of embracing capitalism they've descended into socialism well i mean czechoslovakia descended into socialism for quite a while to be fair <laughs> it's not exactly yes. the opposite Depends on what part of the story you're talking about. But I yeah. think we can agree he's talking about the late 1980s, early 1990s Czechoslovakia. Yeah. But of course, we then get uh, the story about how all the socialists are just a bunch of liars, right? Because Bernie Sanders has three houses. And so he's a commie capitalist. I've never gotten this argument, really. I honestly haven't, because it's, it's like everyone... Here's the thing. We got to throw this out there, right? Because when the right talks about socialism, right, they will throw anything to the left of, of Ronald, anything to the left of Ronald Reagan is socialist yeah. well, in the eyes is, of the Republican I, I mean, Party is, and all those people. This is the thing that invariably happens, is that what they describe as socialist is mm-hmm. the furthest left position that a mainstream Democrat will take. Like, right. So whoever, even if, like, they, they would now probably describe Bill Clinton as a socialist. Who by they most did measures, when he was yeah. elected. Well, that's what, yeah. that's what I'm saying. By most measures, by certainly European measures, was a center-right, maybe centrist Democrat at a push. Right. And I, what I want to say is that, you know, I think the socialist label, the way that we use it today in the United States for, like, the democratic social, I think it's unfortunate because yeah. it plays into that whole right-wing fear-mongering over socialism when they want to equate socialism of any form with you know stalinism straight yeah, up fucking the, so, ussr stalinism and and you know chairman mao and all that shit the problem, they want to pretend the there's is, no it, difference between the uk which yeah. is a socialist country by any means any any measure you could put on it it's a socialist country and the ussr or communist china yeah. they want to pretend there's no difference there. well i mean what it, i mean certainly the scandinavian countries are socialist countries and people don't describe them that way when right. it's convenient to them and what it actually is is it's a callback to fdr i mean you know democratic socialism originates in the mainstream political sphere with fdr so it is a hey i am calling this back to economically one of the most successful presidents ever 
And in terms of expanding rights to people, I mean, some not great things in there, you know, definitely, <laughs> especially if you're Japanese or generally a person of color. Yes. But yes. a lot of expanded rights by FDR and certainly countries saved from the greatest financial crisis it has ever seen by socialism, which nobody seems to talk about, which is odd. Yeah. Can't disagree with. But, of course, we know that the youth of this country are descending into the socialist nightmare because polls have found that, you know, a certain percentage of young yeah. people don't have a negative view of socialism. Just, I mean, which tends uh, to happen after a catastroph catastrophic financial crash that breaks the system, but for everybody except those who are already well set up by it. So the youth who've never seen prosperity in the same way that people in the 90s did, maybe they think socialism not so fucking bad after all. Yes, and of course we're going to learn. We're going to learn now about these young socialists, mm -hmm. uh, and of course we get we get the. I love this sentence. I just have to put it out there. He put the midterm elections of 2018, which by the way were unfairly influenced by the baseless Russia collusion investigation, was a turning point. Yeah, I love so, that he wants to blame the massive losses on that and that yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. It also should be were a turning point. Elections, plural. Yes, you are correct. On. But now we're going to talk about some particular individuals in the Democratic Party who, of course, are unrepentant socialist Sololinskyites, uh, <laughs> commie pinko bastards. Starting with, of course. Nobody likes Sololinsky anymore. I don't know yeah, where he keeps going. Yeah. It's like the one dude he's heard of. Right. It's Starting not even with. Like Gramsci or anyone. Like, <laughs> like Sololinsky, the one American socialist whose name I happen to know. Yes. Starting with Elizabeth Warren, of course, because we know that she is, uh, you know, corrupt. She hates people with money. She wants to steal from all the people who are the, the job creators, as, as we know. Uh, and of course, she's also a hypocrite because she made almost, according to Donald Trump Jr., $500,000 a year from teaching one class at Harvard, which is a completely false statement. Starting off, I, I, this one got at me and annoyed the hell out of me because I am a Elizabeth Warren first choice voter. She was my first choice. Uh, so, uh, uh, of course, I know plenty about her. And I've read her case books. I've read her law review articles. I think she's the smartest candidate in the race. Come at me. Uh, but, look, I'm still going to vote for Bernie if he's a candidate. Don't worry. I have everyone who I just made angry. Everyone I just made angry, don't worry. <laughs> I'm still voting for Bernie if he's a candidate. But... This slander uh, against Elizabeth Warren that she made 500000 for teaching one class at Harvard, he inflated a figure that came from an online meme that said she made $400,000 a year for teaching one class at Harvard. In fact, actually, she taught two classes that year, and the only reason she taught so few classes was because she was working uh, at the government at the time to create the CFPB and do other things that were important. And also, yeah, Harvard law professors make a lot of money. I just yeah. don't get uh, the anger about that, honestly. Uh, maybe it's because they were all too dumb to get into Harvard. Also, also, I was too dumb to get into Harvard. <laughs> but that's a different issue. <laughs> but then we get the future leaders of the socialist, I mean Democrat party. Uh, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> it's just the worst writing in the world. The little aphorisms he uses and all this. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. But of course, you can guess what I'm about to say. Alejandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, or the Squad, as they're commonly known, stand somewhere left of Chairman Mao. Like, that, he's just writing copy for attack ads. Well, That's okay, really it. Fine, but like that, that should completely undermine your argument. Like you're writing it really a, like should. to the left of Chairman Mao. Are you serious? Like, what a ridiculous thing to say. I was honestly unaware that it was possible to be buried to the left of Chairman Mao, 
but look, it's it's obviously ridiculous, right? But it should undermine the argument entirely, unless we accept that it's just puffery. But honestly, I have trouble figuring out where the line is with a lot of right wing uh, writers and speakers that we we look at in where they actually believe what they're saying and where they don't, but they don't care that it's completely unrealistic. Whether I, I don't know where that line is anymore. I honestly couldn't tell you. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. And then, you know, my favorite bit about the next two pages or three pages, whatever, is that it's completely aged absolutely. Like, <laughs> Very like, poorly. Like a Trump brand bottle of wine it has aged. Because, so yes. it, it's the story of... Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying that she didn't want Amazon to build a campus in uh, Long Island City, which is, you know, a part of New York in Queens that she is it though it's Queens. Yeah. It's, oh, that's where that's where Spider-Man lives. So yeah. that's that's uh, that isn't important. I, I was wrong. I was thinking of Long Island. Sorry. <laughs> Long Island. So because <laughs> it's mean, Long Island City. Yeah, you get what I mean. You yeah, get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man's Queens, from Queens, so I can I can accept Queens. Queens is on Long Island, but. It, it's the start of Long Island. Anyway. I don't know any of these things. I, I know that. So she said that Amazon shouldn't, as the the most one of the most valuable companies in the world, with a billionaire owner, should not get a bunch of tax breaks in order to build a campus on Long Island, in Long Island City. Which, you know, people criticized her for her at the time because Amazon ultimately pulled out of the deal, saying there was local opposition to it and they didn't want to do that. And then she got a bunch of flack and, they, and people said oh, look how much you've cost the city, whatever. And she said, okay, tax breaks, not worth it for us. Even if it created jobs, like there are other ways to create jobs. We can invest in the community. We can invest in the city, whatever. We should be doing that instead of tax breaks. And then do you know what happened, Kevin? Do you happen to know what happened? Uh, no, why don't you tell me what happened? Do you think Amazon is is opening essentially a campus anyway, in all but name? And it could be possible. Hiring, hiring a bunch of people? Well, it could be possible that that's that actually exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. That is exactly, exactly what's, what's happening. happening. So they're hiring, I think, as many people, as or almost as many people as they were going to hire anyway, except now they don't get the tax breaks. So, yeah. you know. So they, the city saves $3 billion in tax breaks it would have given otherwise. Yeah. And he, write, he, he has this... He writes here that he doesn't think AOC understands how tax incentives works, right? And he says the the $3 billion Amazon economist. would save in taxes would go towards construction and salaries that would, in turn, be taxed, creating nearly $30 billion in revenue for the city and community by some estimates, which made, made me write in the margins of my book, I'm pretty sure Donnie Jr. doesn't know how tax incentives work. No. Because that's not how tax incentives... No. If they still do the... Like, and, and you have to... I have to admit, yes, I don't think this book was... I think this book was out before they announced they were still going to it be was. doing that project it there. Was, it was. It's okay, not so the it, same project. It's it's a right. it's a reworking. It's a, it's a hiring spree in New York, essentially. Right, but point being, you don't have to give Amazon three billion dollars when there are only a limited number of places they're going to choose to put their headquarters because they want access to the amenities of those places. Exactly. Right. That's the real thing for Amazon. That we all knew they were going to choose somewhere around New York City. Because yeah, that's where Amazon DC. wants to be. I'm like, oh, we chose Crystal City and Long Island City. You chose DC and New York is what you yes, did. exactly. Yeah, Crystal City and Long Island City. Get yes. the fuck out of here. And we get some criticism of Jeff Bezos, of course, uh, because he is the, the main villain, the owner of the uh, uh, lying Washington Post or whatever slur they're using for it these days. He's richer than, uh, we, uh, than Trump, right? Is the, yes, of course the, he is. Yeah. Yes, of course he is. But now we move on to the Green New Deal which, of course, these socialistas uh, of the squad all support 
because they're evil and want to take away all your money and, and your here cows. We get they, they want to take away your cheeseburgers. Sololinsky for the first time. Yes, Sololinsky, of course. Uh, but no, we get that the, the roots of the Green New Deal began with a group called the Sunrise Movement, started by recent college graduates who drew inspiration from Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter, which is just plainly false since the Green New Deal began around 2006 when there was actually a working group created to, to work on the Green New Deal idea uh, in Congress. So that's just plainly false, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But you are right. He does say... That my one of my favorite citations of all time. Some even say not even their roots say, can be traced back to Saul say. Alinsky. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Saul Alinsky, the gift to the right who keeps on giving, is how he describes him. Uh, and he says that uh, in Rules for Radicals, he cited Lucifer as the father of the radical movement. Okay, it was a literary a literary analogy. It wasn't literal, you douchebag. You also, dumb douchebag. You've not read Rules for Radicals, no you way. dumb, dumb douchebag. You looked it up on Wikipedia. That's as close as he got to actually understanding Saul Alinsky or Rules for Radicals. Also, that's like, all he fucking did. Satan is kind of a radical in kind of a cool way. Right, and that's where the the literary analogy, that's the literary analogy he was using, right? He was rebellious and rebelled against the the order, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Satan in Paradise Lost is objectively the coolest character. (laughs) In Milton's Paradise Lost, he says, I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven, which is a cool thing to say. Yeah, and Crowley is the coolest character in Good Omens. I get it. Objectively. It's the cool thing. Objectively. Anyway. Have you watched all Good Omens? I haven't by the way? yet. No, I haven't. you haven't. We watched the first episode. I know, I, know, I, know. I haven't watched it all yet. I haven't watched it all yet. It's so good. Know, it's so good. Know, David Tennant and oh, they're so good. Anyways, we have to re- go back to this fucking book. Uh, good Omens is such a better book. Read Good Omens yeah. instead of this book, please. You'd be so much better off. But we get talking about the Green New Deal, and of course, we know it's going to cost almost a hundred trillion dollars. 93 trillion to be precise. Yeah. Uh, which is far above any of the even ridiculous estimates that are out there. Sure. But I, I, I mean, the point being, like, even if that were true, a lot more than that will be spent should the worst predictions of climate change come true, right? Like, that right. it is going to cost the world a lot more than $93 trillion if we have to completely revamp society as we know it. Because right, and here's the here, okay. Here's my problem with anyone trying to put a dollar amount to the Green New Deal is that the Green New Deal is a set of aspirations. Mm-hmm. It's not even a set of policies. There's nothing fleshed out in there. It's a series of aspirations for ten years that we should look to accomplish. Yeah, right. It's I look at it in the vein of the Millennium Development Goals or the Sustainable Development Goals that the UN does. It's like it's a ten year plan to work towards accomplishing these goals. It and so I just also, find it ridiculous when people try and put a dollar amount to it. It would also, as is implied by the New Deal, create a bunch of jobs in in new industries. Like, yes, like, I mean, particularly some of the things that are in there that I think are, are the most worthwhile spending a lot of time on are, for example, working on sustainable uh, electricity generation, mm-hmm. things like that, increasing solar and wind power. And High-speed like rail that, across which Yeah, like which would Texas definitely stuff, create jobs cool. and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you're absolutely right. But here's what Donnie Jr. tells us that the Green New Deal is meant to do. To stop cows from farting, eliminate air travel, build an underground tunnel from California to Hawaii, and fund people who don't want to work. To get them to work is, is what it's... <laughs> I, like the the whole point is that those jobs would be created for people. No welfare having, queens, Benedict. Right. Welfare okay. queens. All right, moving on. 
Buzzwords. Right-wing buzzword. Right-wing buzzword, Uh, We also get this slur in here against AOC that she couldn't even name the three branches of government after being elected. Yeah. Which comes from, like, a, a... I don't know, Insta, Insta sure or Instagram Twitter video, live, she did yeah. something like that. Whatever it was, where she called it the three chambers. We need to win back in this election the three chambers, the House, the presidency, and the Senate. And they just went ballistic on that and pretended yeah. that she didn't. You know, what the fuck are you talking about, people? Yeah. God, that shit annoys me. But we also get uh, something from uh, Naomi Klein. An author, an anti-Trump feminist, we are we are told, because, of course, we have to know that. That's very mm-hmm. important, uh, who people are and what they support. She's that also has to Canadian. do with the factual background of what they say that, that makes their facts either true or false. It depends on who they support. We've learned this about judges who rule against Trump. If they don't like Trump, then they're wrong about the law. Mm-hmm. That's how it works now. We know this. But she explained why a select steering committee on the Green New Deal would have such importance by saying that, Giving the committee a mandate that connects the dots between energy, transportation, housing, and construction, as well as health care, living wages, a jobs guarantee, and the urgent imperative to battle racial and gender injustice, the Green New Deal plan would be mapping precisely that kind of far-reaching change, which he translates into Medicare for all, mm-hmm. minimum wage, police reform, all good things, by the way, yeah. voting rights. He puts voting rights in as one of these negative things yep. that he's saying comes from that statement. Pay equality, regardless of merit, check, check, check. Economic security for all those who are unable or unwilling to work, a big fat check. So he doesn't think people who are, who are unable to work should have economic security there? No, they should learn to code, I've been told by oh, people I online. I see, I see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of those things sound pretty good to me, certainly. And also minimum wage has now, by a number of studies, been proven to be a positive thing. And yes, for the, we should absolutely for raise the, local the minimum economy, wage. Yeah, you should raise the minimum wage, shockingly. Because you know how, like he says in this book, if you raise the minimum wage, you would eliminate 4 million jobs? Uh, yeah, because, of true. course, th- those jobs wouldn't be needed to be done anymore after yeah. the wage goes up. So that's why the jobs would be eliminated rather than some people just paying people more. That's how this works. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me how they justify trickle-down economics with, oh, bosses would have more money to pay for more employer uh, employees but nobody thinks about trickle up economics which is like people have more money to spend and therefore we need more sh- like shops and services and all that stuff like it's bizarre anyway but so of course we move on next we get maxine waters uh and we get her flub uh when she was talking about student loans as, I, uh, I, that have been as federalized. If, again this isn't the trump family who have had the most flubs of any family <laughs> in the world ever right glass houses man yeah. glass houses yes and look it's a legitimate thing she should have known and she messed up in a hearing and you know that happened right okay but i think the reason this was included was because they were very conscious of the fact that he has been very racist in his criticism of Maxine Waters yeah. and other African-American congresswomen and congressmen, which is why he puts in a statement after explaining all this, now you know why my father <laughs> says she's a low-IQ person. And that's the real story. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You heard it from him. Yeah, Nothing else makes sense. So so then we're like, the one thing he does know about is social media. And he's like, oh, AOC's dangerous because she has 5 million Twitter followers, 3 million Instagram <laughs> followers. She is a socialist star. Like, she's been on the cover of half a half dozen major magazines. She's a socialist media star? Yeah, sure, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, but, like, uh. like, he's like, oh, all these people are writing about her. You're fucking writing about her. She's like, oh, don't legitimize her. You Again, you are 
creating this boogeyman image she would like it's like the same thing with trump all over again like they get themselves so wound up this is what the left liberals did to, to trump like you get so wound up that you create this mythical thing that's like unbreakable and yet here we like she's just a person at the end of the day like she's a great person i think she's a great organizer she's a great representative but she is one of 435 representatives it's nuts that she gets as much attention as she does yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And all the rest of them as well, right? The, the, the rest of the squad uh, who, who get the same amount of flack. I mean, we, we're going through all of them. We get, of course, Omar and uh, Rashida Tlaib, whose name I still don't know if I'm pronouncing yeah, correctly. Tlaib. I never get... I used to have to have you say her last <laughs> name for me. Tlaib, I just My I tongue trips Tlaib. over that TL. I don't know yeah, how that works. It's hard. And it's I probably hard. could find it out, but, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> uh, but we next get Ayanna Presley, the mm -hmm. least scrutinized of the squad, he calls her who he says engages in a sort of in-kind racism, demanding that people of color follow the socialist party line, which I think there is an insipid racism in the whole right-wing line of African-Americans and minorities in this country are too stupid to know that they're being, you know, fleeced or whatever the case may be by the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. I think there's a very insipid racism in that. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's true. It's like, again, like you have people are responsible for what their own beliefs, and you, that ultimately has to be how it is. And you can't just imply yeah. that everyone thinks something because they're being told to think of it without certain implications being made there, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're losing it towards the end of the chapter, guys. This, chapter's, yeah. this chapter was a whole bucket full of crazy it's people. Not, it's not so, great. But we close off the chapter. It's also now really long. The... It's like 30 pages. Like, why are you writing Yeah, this was so a long much? chapter. Was, I, this is this was like like how much I have to do for a law class is how much reading this fucking was <laughs> page wise. I mean it's it's very large print, uh, but we get the worst of the squad at the end here. Of course, Ilhan Omar, oh, yeah. who wears who wears a thing covering her hair. I don't know if he knows the name of it, so I'm gonna assume he just calls it that <laughs> hair thing. I'm gonna assume that when he's talking to people, he calls it that hair thing. Uh, which, of course, we know she is the most vile and evil socialist out there because she supports BDS, which we all know is a horrible anti... I don't want to get into the merits of BDS right now no. on this show. Definitely That not. seems like a good idea. But again, it's America, free speech. Let's leave it at that. Yes, it is. But we also get the slur against Omar of the out-of-context con out statement that they took from her about 9-11 where she said some people did something. Yeah. Right, which we talked about that before uh, with other books, right? Yeah. Or was, I think it was the old show. Yeah, no, I think we talked about it when it happened in the news, and it's like, yes. it, it was edited. It was an edited video. Exactly, right. She was talking about with that statement. So, for example, uh, she said, well, I don't have the whole quote here because he didn't, of course, he didn't put the whole quote in the book. Why am I looking down at the book to yeah. see if he has the whole quote? I know it's not in there. But she was talking about racism against. Uh, Muslims in the United States and, and attacks against them since 9-11 and growing up with that and growing up with the yeah. the xenophobia and the racism. Yeah, there was, there was much and more context to it than that. She was talking about how we get treated this way because some people did something, right? And yeah. the fact that she didn't stop and put her hand over her heart and say, because terrible, horrible, evil Muslim extremists did 9-11 and killed, you know, because they didn't do whatever, whatever the right wing would have wanted, which never would have been enough, yeah, no matter what she did. Uh, then obviously she's trivializing 9-11 and being just just terrible. And I did love, A, at the end of the chapter here, 
he self-cites one of his own tweets, which he's done before in this book. Yeah, he does. And I love every time he does, because he says, as I said on Twitter, I'll bet that when Omar watched Black Hawk Down, she roots for the Somali warlords. Great. God damn it. This is like the ultimate version of the (laughs) self-retweet. It really is. to see. It really is. But anyways... We have one last paragraph, and as I always do, I will read the final paragraph of this chapter, which goes, President Trump knows foundations as well as anyone, and certainly better than anybody else in the political world. I'm pretty sure there's some engineers in Congress, so they probably know him better. Probably. Over the course of his first term, he's built a solid foundation on which America can soar, bringing us back to the glory we once had. Solid construction is the enemy of socialism. Democrats will do everything they can to sabotage what my dad is building. We can't let them worm their way in. End great language. Of chapter. <laughs> Don't love that. <laughs> so, Don't Benedict, I know we didn't learn anything from this chapter. I asked you that question last week, and the very quick response was no. <laughs> so I had a different question for you okay. this week. I wanted to know, what blunt object would you rather gouge your eyes out with than reread this chapter? You know, like, when, like, a, like, like a piece of fruit just before rotting, it goes really hard. <laughs> I think that like a slice of apple that's gone. Oh, I thought really you were going to say when it was soft, like <laughs> a rotten banana. Gouging, gouging your eyes out with a rotten banana like a would be difficult. Avocado, yeah. No, because then you'd just be doing it with your fingers ultimately. But like a, a piece of apple that's gone kind of hard before okay. it, before it rots, just like just okay. as it's about to turn. All right, all right. I was going to say this book. I would gouge my eyes out with this book. <laughs> I nearly said that. I nearly said that. The pages that I've torn out of this book are made into a giant ball of paper. So that's it for this week's episode of the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, we invite you to go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as one. Wait, I think it's $2 an episode. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think $2 an episode. Uh, And when you become a patron, of course, you get shout outs at the end of every show and all sorts of other benefits. So, of course, we have to give a shout-out to all of our wonderful and amazing patrons who have rejoined us now that the show is back up and going again, including Andrew Jenko, Becky Scott Fairley, Brusque Platypus, Emily Burke, Skeptical Seventh, and Taru Takanen. Thank you all for those of you who stuck around with us throughout yeah. the long hiatus and remain patrons, although I don't know why. You should have you should have dropped it, guys. We, we would have come back and let you know, and we could have done this whole thing. But thank you for anyways. Yeah. Uh, for sticking it. around. Uh, and those of you who have rejoined now that we've uh, come back and started doing the show again, thank you all as well. We are very excited to be back here doing the show again, and we are looking forward to getting through some more of these terrible, terrible books with you. Of course, we're going to be doing a patron-only bonus episode coming up soon where we'll be finishing off the book we never finished <laughs> on the mm-hmm. old show. Which, again, I have to look at my big shelf to find because uh, the Russia hoax, the Russia hoax we will be finishing for patrons only. But that is it for this week's episode of the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We thank you all for being here, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.
about your grandmother's book club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.